Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined by the namesake of the show, Mr. Don Pizzette. Don, how's it going today? It is going great. I've managed to uh, show up and uh, be sober for the podcast. Minimum, <laughs> minimum requirements is all. Yeah, it's really hitting the highlights today. Yeah. Daniel, how are you? I'm, I'm very well. I mean, I'm basking in the glow of Don's non-drunkenness. So. <laughs> Fantastic. And, uh, and we are joined today by a very special guest, uh, Jorge Negron de Jesus, who is the inventor of AWS. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I remember that wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, AWS expert is what it, it actually says here. How are you doing, Jorge? Thank you, SME. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's yeah, an honor to be here. You're an old, old friend of ours. You've been down to the studios here before and, and actually uh, filmed some content for Amazon here. So it's uh, we were just saying it's been a year since we've seen you because you were here like the last flight out before the pandemic, kind of like the last flight out of Saigon. <laughs> is the, I think the last Absolutely. Uh, we bid farewell to the world as we know it together and... Uh, I'm, I'm honored to have done it with the IT Pro.TV crew. Yeah, I can't think of a worse party to, to go out <laughs> and, uh, and hanging out with us. But, uh, well, let's jump in and get to know you for uh, those that, that don't know you yet in our first segment, which is Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Jorge, in this segment, what we're going to do is throw some rapid-fire questions at you. You'll see a little timer appear on the left side of your screen. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you like that, and then we'll move on to the next question. So the first question is going to come at you from Peter himself. All right, so we, we uh, kind of mentioned the AWS Academy. That's what you were uh, here for back a, a year ago. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is? That's actually part of, of Amazon, correct? Absolutely. Uh, AWS Academy is the part of AWS training and certification that focuses on colleges and universities. We develop our own curriculum. We maintain it ourselves. It's curriculum geared towards college students. And the program focuses in empowering uh, college educators to be able to pass forward this curriculum. We save them the time of maintenance, the time of uh, refreshments. We train them. They become accredited instructors. And then therefore, they basically teach the classes to their students. This is part of the more general education to workforce effort. And the approach is simply to empower these students to be able to exit one hand with their school diploma uh, and another hand, AWS knowledge and certification with the intent to land them into particular opportunities that continue to go unfilled due to the high demand of cloud computing adoption. Now, I've been doing technical training for quite some time, uh, 20 years now. Uh, and I'm always curious with other people that do training, how they got into that as their line of work. You know, I, I've, I've met you, Jorge. I know you're a really sharp guy. You've got a lot of knowledge. You've got multiple degrees. You, you could easily be a developer anywhere you wanted to be. Uh, obviously, supporting cloud infrastructure is not a problem. So what is it that made you kind of gravitate towards becoming a trainer? I inherited it from my parents. My grandparents were educators. My parents are educators. Despite having careers in law and a number of other disciplines, I became an engineer by trade, bachelor's degree, electrical engineering. I took my master's degree in computer science. More often than not, I found myself having to explain to executives, you know, the technicalities of the issues that a particular project entailed. I, I learned that I loved it. I learned that I was actually good at it and it came natural. So in about 2006, I decided to merge the two, my education, my newfound passion uh, for teaching, and I became a technical trainer. And I've been doing it ever since then, uh, more recently as technical program manager of AWS Academy, standing in front of college professors, PhDs, grad students, 
being able to answer any questions they throw my way, being humble enough to say, hey, I don't know, but I'm going to get you the answer, uh, you know, before the end of the day. And usually that was good enough. So uh, I'm very thrilled to have done that. That's, I continue to do it to this day. That's super awesome, Jorge. I just I, I love those kind of stories where you're just like, I did this and then I did that, and all of a sudden I took all that stuff and I wrapped it up in a ball, and now I do this, and it's kind of awesome. It's kind of fun. <laughs> and you ended up landing in that uh, apparently an AWS space. So what what was that? How did that happen? And why is it that AWS is the certifications that you feel are relevant or are important? Well, in this particular case, uh, a, a, the AWS certification represents independent verification of your AWS expertise. These are exams that are very hard, and, and that's because they're prepared by subject matter experts, both practicing in the industry and internal to AWS. The idea here is to verify that you can fulfill a particular role, whether it's architect, developer, or system operators, uh, even some of the specialty certifications. The idea there is that you have the minimum knowledge to be able to perform that particular role without causing any damage, without leaving any major holes or any major uh, omissions uh, in your performance. So these are scenario-based questions intended to be able to verify not only the broad, uh, the breadth of your uh, of scope of your knowledge, but also they try to go uh, try to test the depthness. You know, they're considered hard because. They put you a scenario, they give you a requirement, you look at the answers, and if you don't really know what you're talking about, a lot of the answers are gonna appear to satisfy the requirement, but guaranteed only one of them is actually gonna be able to do what is being requested. So they're considered hard exams. That's why you see people investing time, investing money in training and preparing. But once you get it, uh, there are dozens of articles that you can look up. Uh, I mean, uh, people hire based just on certifications. They don't put you through a grueling technical interview. And it does have an impact on the potential outcome in terms of salary once you obtain them. So AWS Academy is preparing people to get jobs, uh, you know, administering an uh, AWS instance at a company or things like that. What about the people that actually want to work at Amazon? You've had that experience. How, how do you prepare for a job at AWS, um, actually for AWS? You're asking for a friend. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's a common question, right? It actually happens a lot. Uh, I, I broke it. I break it usually into three steps. Uh, the first one, you have to love what you do. If you've done it for someone else and you love what you do, you are definitely a good candidate for AWS. You can look on the jobs board, see positions that calibrate to your experience, and go at it. Uh, there's a second side to that, which is you know if you're a college uh, recent graduate or if you are about to graduate. You know, you can always go, well, I haven't done for anybody except for my project. So in that case, if you're fresh out, there are internship opportunities. There's also a 48-week residency program called AWS TechU, which will hire you and train you for 48 weeks before you commit to a specific set of responsibilities. And that is basically an elite program. You need to be a great student, outstanding student. You need to be smart and intelligent about what you're talking about in terms of your college experience. But if you get hired by TechU for 48 weeks, you're going to be an AWS employee circling through different teams, watching what they do, being mentored, uh, shadowing. And then after 48 weeks, then you commit to a particular job role. So there's an opportunity here for everybody. It's not a chicken and the egg problem. How do, how do I get hired by AWS if I have no experience? Well, uh, if you have the proper preparation, you definitely are given an opportunity and you could be an intern or you can actually join this AWS TechU program and, and become a full-time employee. 
I had a guy uh, yell that to me the other day out of his car. Tech you, I think is what he, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so he must have Sounds about right. Yeah, he must have been uh, advertising hey, that. AWS employee. I didn't, I didn't know what he was talking about. He saw potential. <laughs> yeah, hey, tech you. Yeah. Yeah. You too, buddy. That's <laughs> so I'll look into that. Uh, well, we want to, while we have your, you here and, and your expertise on all things cloud, we want to jump into our next segment for this week and talk about an article in Science and Tech News. Please stay tuned for science and technology. And now back to the anchor desk. All right. So the article we're looking at here is from searchcloudsecurity.techtarget.com, long domain. Uh, how cloud monitoring dashboards improve security operations. So when we talk about cloud monitoring dashboards, are those, are those things that are baked in uh, to things like AWS and, and Google Cloud, or, or are these third-party solutions you think that, that are important for people to, uh, to get their hands on? There are a number of third-party solutions that are very effective. Uh, we're not taking down anything like that. However, AWS has over a dozen automated security services. Uh, something like Amazon Inspector, for example, looks inside a virtual machine and tries to highlight for you whether you're using components with a particular vulnerability and highlights it for you. The dozens of services that AWS provides re regarding security, uh, they have different formats, they generate uh, different findings. Uh, more recently, uh, there's been a service called AWS Security Hub. Uh, whose job is to try to consolidate all of these results into a single dashboard, create a unified type of format so that you don't have to do the conversion yourself. And then it integrates with uh, Amazon CloudWatch events, uh, now you know, uh, under a different name, for you to be able to take uh, corrective action. You can even dispatch uh, your findings over to a ticketing system in order for it to be remediated and followed through upon it. So the complexity of security services now has gone into the point where a unified approach is necessary. And Security Hub will give you a central point dashboard uh, with prefabricated rules. Uh, we used to train a lot into uh, how to properly secure an AWS account, including MFA, choose a proper password length. I mean, simple stuff like that. They're not obvious to everybody. And now uh, there are tools that will automate that, pre-programmed, prefabricated functionality that simply puts it on your dashboard. Hey, you have a score of 80%, you have a score of 90% in your basic implementation. If you're gonna use multi-account type of topology, then these are the items that you need to remediate. So it's becoming simpler by virtue of machine learning and by virtue of consolidating the variety of results from the different dashboards. Amazon Macy, for example, comes into play, Guard Duty, for example, Inspector for virtual machines. Uh, AWS Access uh, Security Analyzer. So there are dozens of security-related services that now consolidate into Security Hub, giving you a single point of access for you to be able to dispatch an event through AWS Lambda or Step Functions, or simply just dispatch it to a ticketing system in order for a team to be able to take the necessary corrective action. So, so security should no longer be a mystery. You know, one challenge that I always ran into was that I found when I was dealing with one service, the monitoring dashboards that were built in were great. So if I was doing uh, EC2 instances, then there was you know, plenty of CloudWatch monitoring right there for me, and it was all active, and that was that. Or if I was dealing with S3 buckets or Lambda functions. But when I got a little more complex, right, when I got into like a stack, so I had a Lambda function writing to an S3 bucket with a load balancer and, and you know, all these different components, that the dashboard didn't really understand how all those components fit together. So I, I might be having issues, but it doesn't nail it down. So has that problem been solved? Does it like via machine learning, machine learning is kind of a you know, magic black box word. Uh, is it able to, to figure out the relationships between the services? 
It's able to do that, actually. In fact, it comes with prefabricated built-in rules for the AWS security best practices. It also has the AWS benchmarks uh, for best practices. And now there is even a package for PCI compliance. So it is able to understand the results of the variety of services. It's able to understand the format of them. It's even able to establish the relationship between these findings. They call them insights. So you can actually group them and then you choose what action to take, whether it's an automated action through a Lambda function or a step function, or simply to be able to dispatch it to uh, a ticketing environment. And more importantly, it integrates with over 50 different security services that are actually made by third-party products. So you're not bound just to the AWS ecosystem. You can also integrate with a significant amount of AWS security services available by third-party that now are able to send their findings to AWS security hubs in order for you to have that single dashboard that was uh, such a big ambition before. Uh, I mean, uh, hub and spoke architectures are the way that we flatten quadratic complexity. So the moment you have more than three uh, particular data sources actually coming at you, you can do the combinatorics and you end up with this mathematical expression that is a quadratic complexity equation, n times n minus one divided by two, if you happen to consider the connection bidirectional, and it is well known, the way you flatten that into something that's linear, more approachable, is by provisioning a hub and spoke type topology. And that's where Security Hub comes in. And there are a number of services that have actually have used the exact same topology of a hub and spoke to be able to simplify the complexity. A transient gateway comes to mind when doing the idea of VPC peering, for example. When you had more than three VPCs, the transient gateway now allows you to stitch together hundreds of VPCs and you know, from a single point of access, a unified approach. So Security Hub is definitely uh, one of the items that you want to look into. Fresh out of the gate, we no longer have to explain MFA, uh, security implementations. Security Hub, you light it up and it tells you exactly what you need to do. You're doing this well. You need to perhaps take a look at this. And this one is grossly incorrect. Please take action on this sooner more than later. All right. Now you mentioned PCI compliance in there. And I, I know Amazon itself, the AWS data centers, they are PCI compliant, but our solutions that we deploy on top of it aren't, you know, you know unless we take the necessary steps. And uh, if you've ever filled out, like Daniel, have you ever done a, a PCI data survey, security survey? Uh, I have not had the pleasure. So by the time you get to like page 42, you start going <laughs> crazy. And when you're at appendix Z and you're like, all right, what's the next appendix going to be <laughs> lettered? I'm out of letters. Uh, it's a nightmare. So uh, is that is that process as it's deployed now, you know, if, if it's doing automated reporting and you know, if it's basically ensuring or validating my PCI compliance, is that is that enough? Like does it churn out the documentation that's necessary for me to put that in front of an auditor and say, oh yeah, I'm PCI compliant? It is very useful. There are a number of services that are PC, PCI compliant provided by AWS. So you want to definitely investigate that. But uh, there's something called the shared responsibility model, which is that dividing line uh, that AWS defines between what, what they will take care uh, versus what you need to own. And as you clearly said, your applications and how you implement them, uh, they're definitely your responsibility for them to become a PCI compliant. The package that comes with AWS Security Hub will actually assist you in making sure that those guidelines are actually met, whether they're coming in from inside a virtual machine by virtue of uh, Amazon inspector findings that are coming in, or whether they're simply coming in by virtue of the data that is actually flowing around uh, a service like Macy, for example, will examine your S3 buckets and try to see if there are any credit cards exposed, any credentials exposed. That would be a major violation of PCI DSS type compliant. Security Hub will definitely highlight them for you. You need to enable the package. 
and then basically allow the different services to do their job and flow the data, flow the traffic. Guard duty, for example, will also try to verify that you're doing things correctly. So you still are responsible for making sure that your application implementation is compliant, but you definitely have now much more sophisticated tools to be able to detect where are your faults and how to take care of them. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like you don't need to be a security expert necessarily to feel secure in, on Amazon, but that's that's great. But uh, with uh, speaking of security, with the AWS coming up, you've got an event, uh, Reinforce, which is kind of the, it's, that's a security-focused one, right? Reinvent is kind of the general um, AWS conference, but, uh, but Reinforce, what does that one focus on specifically? Absolutely. AWS Reinforce 2021 is going to happen uh, August 24 and 25 in Houston, Texas. And this is a conference that's focused on security and compliance. So attending Reinforce is one of the most effective ways that you're going to be able to find to be able to learn how to secure your workloads uh, using AWS tools or services. And you're going to have AWS subject matter experts. You're going to have industry subject matter experts. And more importantly, you're going to have your peers. Usually when you have a question in a class, uh, not too many people kind of raise their hands. Usually the first person that you go to is the person sitting next to you. Hey, what was that about? And so you have peers, you have AWS internals, AWS external subject matter experts, all of them focusing on compliance and security of your implementations. And this is one of the first conferences that you will be able to attend physically. There will be also an online component to it. Yeah, people I'm sure will be excited to get back in person for events like that, because that's, that's a lot of fun. So hopefully- we'll uh, They're always a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. They're always a lot of fun. We miss them and I'm sure everyone else does. So I'm really glad that it's uh, finally happening. And who doesn't love Houston in August? <laughs> <laughs> so this might be a, a separate department, but uh, do you know if uh, there's going to be a new season of that Tom Clancy, uh, Jack Ryan show on Amazon no, Prime? Awesome. Or is that, that's a whole different side. That's definitely a whole different side. I have, have no visibility. That, that new to. Tom Clancy movie that they did with uh, Michael B. Yes, Jordan. That was good. That was good. Actually, I enjoyed that. Was a good very flick. Much. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have gone down a rabbit hole. Any anything coming up for Prime Day that you want to tell us about? <laughs> uh, all right, Jorge. Well, thank no. you. Yeah, thank You're you very so much welcome. for taking the time. Yeah, we appreciate uh, having you on. My pleasure to be here. Please, anytime. I'll be glad to assist. Uh, you guys are one of my favorite training and certification. Uh, uh, providers that i have seen so far yeah thank you definitely next time there's some big aws scoop uh, you're going to be the one we call so uh, so be, be ready be by the phone for that i'll be glad to please all right sounds good well thanks again and uh, we're gonna take a quick break got a lot of news to get to so uh, stick with us we'll be right back on technado with don Pizzette. the it pro tv app is available for ios and tvos the modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen, as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. All right, welcome back to TechNATO with Tom Pissette. Thank you so much to Jorge for joining us and talking about all the not just cool stuff at AWS, but specifically security stuff. Uh, they got a lot of neat stuff going on, and 
I'm sure that there would be a lot of people going and getting drunk at AWS Reinforced <laughs> yeah. in Houston. It's Why been, not? It's, it's been a year since you've been able to get drunk on the company dime. That's true. It's true. I mean, I've I've heard. Yeah, I've read. So I hear. Wouldn't know anything about that. Would you, Don? You can, no. <laughs> you can take your paycheck and still go get yeah. drunk, but that's not official. It's not, it's not the, the same. same. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's like. You know, having to poop on your own time. I like to take Don's paycheck. And get <laughs> Everybody knows that expensed alcohol tastes better. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. This round's on me. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to the news because there's a lot of a lot of weird things, uh, strange things going on this week. And our first is from ArsTechnica.com. Let me play some music here. Microsoft is finally killing off Internet Explorer entirely. Internet Explorer lives on in Edge IE mode. LTSC Windows 10, Windows Server, and in all of our hearts. <laughs> I love how it I immediately contradicts itself. It's killing it off entirely. Uh, it lives on. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, we've heard this for a while, right? Oh, sure. It, Internet Explorer is dead. Internet Explorer is dead. But it's still been there where you had to go and find it, basically. But now it's going to be gone. Yeah, so you know, over the years, uh, TechNado has been running for years now. We've many times announced the end of a particular version of Internet Explorer. So Internet Explorer nine, ten, now eleven. Well, this is not just the end of the versions, like the end of a season of a TV show. This is the series finale, right? They've they've announced there will not be an Internet Explorer twelve. It's the end of the line for Internet Explorer. Microsoft has gone all in with Microsoft Edge. But IE 11 does hang around a few different ways. In fact, there is a Internet Explorer compatibility mode that's available inside of Edge that sort of lets you do it. If you still have uh, web applications that rely on Silverlight or other BS that some people yeah. some people invested in that, you know, okay. and it's expensive to to re rebase your code on some new platform. Uh, so some of it's out there, but basically Microsoft has said, that's it. We're, you know, we're now all in on Microsoft Edge. Now for me, uh, I had gone to Chrome for a number of years and then I've recently switched over to Edge. I, I use it quite a bit and, and like it. But I was thinking about it. I, I remember, I don't know if you guys were online then, but back in 1995 when Internet Explorer version one came out. So at the time, you didn't have a lot of choices. You had Netscape Navigator and you had Mosaic. Like those are really the, the two and Mosaic was kind of outdated. Uh, well, Microsoft basically took Mosaic and changed it around a little bit, you know, because they, they borrowed that code base and then turned that into the first version of Internet Explorer. You didn't air they, quote that. Yeah. You're and supposed to say borrow. Isn't borrowed. that how they made Windows? Uh, well, you know, so they did actually license Mosaic. They paid for yeah. it. Oh, okay. uh, That's the and, difference, yeah. So yeah, a little little bit different, but but basically, you know, when it came out, it was a new web browser, and, and we didn't have a whole lot of choices back then. And Internet Explorer was kind of neat. And I remember with Windows ninety eight, where Internet Explorer became an integral part of the OS. Like you, you couldn't uninstall Internet Explorer; it had to be there. Compete issues, didn't it? It did, and yeah. and that was a big deal because they said we can't take it out. It's it's in, in the heart of the OS. Even the file browser is now Internet Explorer. You just don't see it. So. We've gone from a time where the web browser was the heart and soul of the operating system to now being something they can cast off. <laughs> it's an afterthought. Well, just so. a, they had a heart transplant. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. What's the heart and soul of, of operating system of Windows now? Uh, the recycle bin. Yeah. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Good WSL. Good Windows update. <laughs> Good. That's probably more true. Uh, Windows update. Now, will, will this happen through a Windows update, where if it's on your computer, it will be taken away for you? Or? No, they, they haven't said they're removing it, but they're not going to be... Eventually, they'll stop doing updates to it. Uh, and so that's the real thing. Like, it's a security risk. You want to move over to Edge if you haven't already. And really, the only people that I feel like were still on it were 
really big corporations that were really glacial slow sure. to move or uh, government, you know, it's cases where they said, oh, you have to use this browser. But you've had enough time by this point to know that this is coming to, to move forward, I would think. There's still a number of government websites that only work in Internet Explorer. Like, you know, there, there's companies that just have not updated their infrastructure and kept up with the times. Yeah. Colonial Pipeline? <clears throat> right? no. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you'd be surprised. You find right. out these places are running Windows 7 right. and, yeah. Well, there's your problem. There's your problem. I figured it out. Listen, we know this works, man. Shut your mouth. That's what I'm using. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's worked since 1997. Right. If it ain't work. broke, son, uh, it is broken, sir. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not broke, but it's been hacked a yeah, hundred yeah. times. Yeah. I mean, they don't find it to be broken at all. Yeah, this, <laughs> this works for us. Yeah. Dark, I like this. Dark sides. Like, yeah. This is great. That's perfect. All right, let's move on to our next article from Tom'sHardware.com. New SSDs have built-in protection against ransomware and data theft. So if they're building something into that, it's like, can they still update it if, as new uh, security things come up? Yeah, so, um, you know, Apple kind of started this, the idea of having these secure enclaves in your hardware, little places where data could be locked away and secured and you're not allowed to touch it, right? So like your Touch ID fingerprints are locked away in a secure enclave. Well, this manufacturer, whose uh, name I've actually forgotten offhand. Sygent, I think. Sygent, the leading name in yes. SSD. Uh, the many of you have probably not heard of because they only market to military and government right now. They're just stepping into the consumer space, which is why there was this announcement. Uh, what they've done is they've released SSD that has these secure enclaves on it. And it's combined with a software application that you run on your operating system. And if it sees ransomware-like activities, you can have kind of like partitions or, or little... I think they actually call them panic rooms at one point in the article that, uh, you know, it can panic and say, oh, there's ransomware and it can lock off the locations where you store your data, making it where they don't get encrypted. Now, your computer's still infected. <laughs> you still, still have that problem, but at least your data didn't get uh, encrypted and is irreversibly stored away unless you pay a ransom. You know? So how do you get to like, let's say that that happens, you get some sort of ransomware hit, the hard drive goes, oh, I'm going to push this off in the secure enclave. How do I then get at that data if I still have the ransomware? So it's basically like an encrypted volume. You have a key. Oh. And they haven't actually released this yet, so I haven't been able to find out whether it's a token-based thing or if it's one of those long, you know, 128-character strings or, or whatever. But but that's basically the way it works, is you have a, a key that unlocks it, and you're able to get at that data. And this is for useful for things like off-the-shelf kind of ransomware, stuff we know about, signature-based behavior based a bit I guess. So it, it's supposed to be doing behavior based yeah. and and again it's the software piece that they haven't showed us yet. They've shown us the hardware so we know how the hardware works but the software is still kind of the mystery. Uh, so it is monitoring for well when you get ransomware it goes through yep. and starts encrypting files which generates a ton of disk IO. So all it's got to do is monitor for disk IO. And then if it sees something crawling through the file system, well, ransomware is pretty much one of the only things that does that. Although I have tripped some alarms with things like, um, hey, you ever use Beyond Compare? Uh, I have not, but I was thinking of like, if I was using like uh, GPG and I started to encrypt a whole section of my files. Yeah. It yeah. might go, oh, what's this? And think I'm ransomwareing myself. So just trying it, to zip up this email. Yeah, geez, man. <laughs> Do you remember uh, back back in the old days the where old. like if you were running Windows Terminal Server Edition or whatever, you had to tell it, I'm, I'm going to put you in install mode. And now right. I install the software and then I'll take you out of install mode. Well, that's how this is. If gotcha. you're about to encrypt a drive, you've got to flip it into a safety mode. Gotcha. Do your encryption and then flip it back. But that that's the idea. That's it's cool. neat to have it in hardware, though. No doubt. So, yeah. No doubt. Hey, I'll take any protections I can get my hands on, honestly, because it's it's a nasty world out there. 
Ever since you said panic room, all I can think of is Jodie Foster just keeping an eye on my data for me. <laughs> yeah, but then all your data would be in French. Uh, we, That's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This next one is a, is a weird one to me, so I'm hoping Don uh, and Daniel can put it in perspective. Uh, this is from the record.media. Microsoft warns of malware campaign spreading a rat masquerading as ransomware. Now, all I can think of when I when I see this is like a Trojan horse coming going, hey, are you guys murderers? No, no, we're just bank robbers. All right, well, come on in then. So, But it, it, it's not really like that. I, I thought you were going to go with the 80s hair metal band. Oh, rat. Oh, rat. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, rat all caps, so that stands yeah. for something. I and assume. it's two T's, rat. Uh, that's that a good rat point. Is, yeah, right. yeah, wrong rat. So it's a a remote access trojan, uh, which means that once your computer gets infected by this, somebody has remote access. You know, the ability to potentially access your your files, your data, maybe run processes, do remote code execution. Who knows? Right? Depends on what the rat is. But in this case, it's masquerading as ransomware. And what they found was, uh, if you've ever seen a machine that's been hit by ransomware, it'll encrypt your documents. And it'll usually stick a different file extension on the end of them so you know that your data has been uh, encrypted. Well, in this case, it does that. So it changes the file extension and adds a dot .crimson at the end of each file. Uh, but it kind of skips the part where it encrypts your files. So if you delete that file extension, your file will open up just fine. It's not actually encrypted. They just change the extension. Uh, so they're not entirely sure why it's doing that because it could have silently installed the rat and not notified you at all. Like by faking the encryption it makes it pretty obvious that you've been you've been hit uh so it kind of gives it away so they're debating right now whether this is just a mistake somebody getting started you know my kid's first ransomware project <laughs> that kind of thing or if there's something a little more nefarious going on yeah because like we see stuff like this when they're pre-staging they're building their malware and it's going to do xyz functions and it accidentally gets released and then we start picking up on our computers and going, oh, well, it didn't actually do anything. It's because they didn't get that far before it accidentally hit the wild. Yeah. So maybe this is like, because I'm do i pretty sure that dot .crimson extension is a valid like encryption inst- extension for other malware. So maybe they're, like I said, just staging this up and accidentally went whoopsies and it made it outside yeah. of their little lab computer. Maybe... Maybe their antivirus quarantined the library <laughs> file for encryption, yeah. and so the rest of it went fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a good question. So let's say I've gotten ransomware, and um, I pay the bounty, and I and I get my uh, my stuff back. I know that my computer had been compromised at some point. Is there sure. a process I should take at that point to say, hey, just to make sure there's not something else still on here, or you know, what what did they hide here while they were in? Sure. Once your machine has been infected with a, a Trojan, a virus, uh, any kind of remote administration, you just you cannot trust that machine anymore. You need to erase the machine. You know, do a low level format of the hard drive, reinstall the operating system. You cannot trust it, uh, and that's because some of these toolkits can be really ingeniously hidden in the operating system where they don't even show up in the process manager or uh, activity monitor or whatever it is you're using to monitor your system. So, you know, some of these are really uh, like the, the old root kits, you know, mm-hmm. they, they would get so embedded under the operating system that they were basically invisible. Yeah. And then you got to have yourself an, an old yeller scenario where it's like, come on, boy, I'm going to miss you. But this has to be I'm done. You just you go down. ahead and look out over there in the pretty field. <laughs> Tell me about the rabbits, yeah. Daniel. While I hit format sequel. <laughs> well, I get this really big magnet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, because there's there's probably, you know, the uh, 
the the weaker malware guys that come up in the right afterwards and try to see if there's still that same hole there. And yeah, that Peter at itpro.tv. Yeah. <laughs> well, this guy still pays. So. Yeah, the other thing you hear about is is where somebody pays the ransom, they get the key, they unlock it, they decrypt all their stuff. But if you don't patch whatever it was the attackers yeah. used to get in, then you just yeah, get reinfected by the, yeah. the same thing. Yeah, it's 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 bad. a fun game. <laughs> it's a fun game. <laughs> Fun back and forth game. Yeah. Oh, those silly ransomware guys got me again. (laughs) Well, fantastic. Our next article is from ZDNet.com. I was just making sure. (laughs) Cyber. Yeah, Yeah. they they didn't get that yet. ZDNet.ZDNet. Or (laughs) ZDNet.ET, like for Ethiopia, maybe. They should do that. Could work. Do it like us. Could do Uh, like us. (laughs) Cyber insurance premiums. Take-up rates surge, says GAO, and I guess that's not really a surprise because we we talk about how pretty much everybody is susceptible um, to these at, at some point, so it's just like the premium's got to be high if it's going to support a $5 million ransom. So as recently as like 10 years ago, cyber insurance was a really new concept, and a lot of companies debated whether or not it was even worthwhile to get it. It was just this, this idea of... Why would I get insured if somebody's going to hack us? That's not real damage. not like I had to build a new building. Well, over the last decade, people have recognized that an incredible amount of damage can be done. And most of it is not actually damage to your infrastructure, but damage caused by the regulatory penalties, like the the GDPR penalties that can be assigned to you and, and so on. So cyber insurance steps in to fill that void. Uh, it also helps to alleviate, like, security professionals are really expensive. So if I want to hire somebody to come and do the digital forensics on my system and all that, that costs a lot of money. Cyber insurance helps with that. So we're seeing more companies than ever buying cyber insurance, which is a good thing. Unfortunately, there's there's kind of two problems here. So one problem is it's getting more expensive. The prices are going up. You'd think the prices would kind of stabilize or go down, but they aren't. Basic economics, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other problem is that cyber insurance is a reactionary protection, right? I get hit by malware, whatever, and then I go and I do my insurance claim. It doesn't actually stop the problem. So that means the problem is getting worse. More people are getting hit. And instead of taking measures to prevent getting hit in the first place, they can half-ass their security all they want because they know they got cyber insurance, right? Well, the insurance company is like, you know, a car insurance company is is rewarding you for being a safe driver because they know we're not going to have to pay a premium as much. Are are these companies doing the same thing where they're saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna uh, support you here, but we want to make sure you're doing a a b and c sure. if you're gonna get this rate. So I I love your example of car insurance, right? So um, I, I've been with the same insurance company for a long time, so it's been a while. But uh, if you guys remember when you applied for car insurance and they ask you questions, how many miles per day do you drive? One. Right? So, what did you put? <laughs> I don't actually use my car. That's what people put. Like, oh, I only drive three miles a day. You know, meanwhile, you got a hundred mile commute every day. What I meant was at least. <laughs> you let me finish. How many people drive your car? Just me. Just me. I never have passengers. Right? That's that's what people put. Now, uh, a cyber insurance company could decline your claim if they find that you did not exercise best practices. But unfortunately, best practices are not well defined in the United States. So they they don't have like, you know, you need to be ISO 9000. Not That's the wrong one. ISO 27001. There we go. Yeah. Uh, who cares about 9000? <laughs> that's business crap. So <laughs> you need to be you ISO you want, your business. 27001 <laughs> compliant or whatever. Like If they get to that stage, then that's going to encourage companies to do better. Otherwise, the cyber insurance won't cover them. Yeah. And it's probably just going to keep going up. So if there's incentives to get a lower rates based off of 
you know, compliance. Yeah. That's probably going to push them to do those very things. Yeah. Which is funny because you should just be doing them anyway. Because right that's how do. you don't get hacked. Just saying. And, you know, insurance companies, they have uh, actuarial or actuaries yeah. who are the ones who determine the amount of risk the company's exposed to, which ultimately determines the price of the product. And right. so they're looking at this and saying the risk is getting bigger. Our price needs to be higher. Mm. So it just shows the, the danger we're in right now. So if we can lower the risk, then the price should come down. They should. All right. In theory. Let's start doing that. I, you know, it's an interesting idea of, uh, you know, I was thinking, I was talking about this with Ronnie this morning of, you, you want to be, like, as far as business goes, you want to be agile, you want to be quick, you want to be able to move and pivot and do new things without a lot of encumbrances. But you also don't want to be so quick and nimble that you can do whatever you want without any kind of oversight. Yep. And then you get to the point where it's nothing but red tape and you're this giant bureaucratic leviathan where you can't do anything because you can't do You know, there's too much red tape involved. How do you find that equilibrium between the two worlds where you can still move, but you have a good policy and procedure and you find that perfect space. You know, in, in today's world, you just have to take your time. Mm -hmm. And it's tough, but I'll, I'll give you a great example with Apple's M1 uh, processor, right? So Apple launches this new processor, the M1, and, and all of their hardware is moving over to the M1. It's very exciting. Well, on the Intel processors, we had Spectre and Heartbleed and all these crazy exploits that were all built around the uh, uh, predictive processing that it would do, you know, the multi-threading. Well, is the M1 susceptible to that? Nobody knew because it was like a top secret thing until the day it was released. And so you've got to give it a little time to get out in circulation and, and let people test against that. You, you don't want to adopt it day one uh, unless you're willing to accept that risk. Some companies companies are. If you've got the, the money in the bank to do it, yeah, accept the risk. Yeah, it's just crazy that they're, you know, we see the gas pipeline. How did they get hacked? Well, they connected it to the Internet. You know, we talked about this. Yeah. On the Technado the other day, they're connecting stuff to the internet. We know that this is a dangerous practice, and yet we're still engaging in it. Where where is that disconnect, and why is that happening? If we can solve that question, I think we'd be in a safer place. Because the internet's so fun. It is indeed. It's the wild it's west out place. there, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, it's a good time to be in the cyber uh, insurance industry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start a company. I think. All right. Uh, well, let's take a look at our next article from TechCrunch.com. Malware caught using a macOS zero day to secretly take screenshots. Fake news. Ooh. Macs don't get zero days. They don't have malware. Uh, well, that's, that's not the this case. is interesting yeah. because in the article, not only does it use a zero day to do the screenshot, it uses two other zero days to bypass a number of protections found in macOS. You know, normally if an application tries to take a screenshot of your computer, it has to have specific permission to do that in the security preferences in macOS, or you'll at least get a prompt dialogue where you have to authorize it. This one was able to bypass that. And it was able to do a few other things. Uh, the main thing it was doing was tampering with Safari. And it would actually install, like once it had its foothold, it would install a kind of a lighter crippled version of Safari that would allow it to basically transmit everything you did online out to remote servers. People this is a really Safari. nasty one. <laughs> you know, I, so I joke about that, but I hear about people every day that use Safari. I don't the understand why. the crappiest browser. Well, I Opera. Mean. Opera's the crappiest no, I'll now. No, I'll use Opera over Safari. Even though it, like, Bitcoin mines yeah, in the background. Yeah, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> some people got to get some money. At least it's not spying on me and sending uh, it back to freaky malware people. Yeah. And we so, can say this because we know now that Internet Explorer has been officially killed. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Right? Since that death, it has yeah. shifted. Now the words the ranking. There's a yes. new crown. <laughs> it is called Safari. It's just a junk web browser, man. I just hate using it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It, it was like most web browsers designed to be lightweight, 
and standards compliant and yeah. all that, but it garbage. You know, yeah, it's just it's <laughs> the first thing I do when I when I like get a new iPhone is make yeah. sure Chrome's on there and yeah. it's default because. It's just a mess. Now, sadly, I do use Safari on my iPhone. Whoa. Uh, now, in, in this case, we're talking Whoa. about Safari and Mac OS. Sure. But on the iPhone, and uh, Daniel, you're not an iPhone user, so you don't know this, it's but Apple problem. will not allow ad blockers to work in anything except Safari. So really? if you if you have a Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge on your on your iPhone, it won't use the ad See, blocker. This is why I'm not an Apple fan. Them trying to control what did I do doesn't make me very happy. Yeah. I want to do whatever the hell I want to do. I paid for the thing. It's our big marketing lobby yeah. that has gotten this. Well, you know, Apple's motto is you can do whatever you want to do as long as it's exactly what Steve Jobs wanted you to do. Exactly. Yeah. See, do I get our that. kind of you're evil. Right. You're right. Yeah. 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 And if you're a deviant yeah. that, you know, once, weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. That's your own problem. <laughs> hey, you guys guys weird. <laughs> <laughs> why would you ever want to? It's like a it's like a little pocket version of Stack Overflow or Right, just telling. You, why would you want to do that? That's dumb. <laughs> Before you know it, you're in a new jumpsuit with some nice shiny tennis shoes, oh, waiting yeah. for a comet to fly it's by. Sweet. <laughs> wow. Emasculating yourself, right? I was going to leave that part yeah. off, but yes, <laughs> you know, that's probably the more severe part of that whole story. That's dedication. Yeah, right there. That's, that's that's really past the cool believers. Down. <laughs> yeah. True believers, right there, my man. Yeah. Now, uh, for the record, Daniel and I—not uh, Daniel, sorry—Peter uh, and I are both iPhone users. Daniel, you are not, right? I am not. Yeah. Correct. What do I use? I don't know. Linux phone, maybe. <laughs> Blackberry. Yeah. I would like to think that uh, Bill Gates' mind control chip that was injected with my vaccine helps ah. to counteract the like between okay. the two. I, I think they, they neutralize each other. So I'm good. Sense. Yeah, you're you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. gotta get that Google one now. <laughs> Where's that? Was that Moderna? I don't even. It's an LG. <laughs> that's an LG phone for them. I didn't know Google was in on one of them. I thought it was I just know. Bill Gates. See that? That's like what they're trying to spin. So uh, you guys don't even think about them. You know they had the like secret dock, remember, out in San Francisco where they were doing all kinds of secret things that no one knows about? I heard that Bill Gates was tampering with Moderna, and it was Melinda Gates tampering with Pfizer, uh, and in the divorce you had to pick which oh, one you went with. Yeah. And, yeah. Johnson and Johnson? <laughs> that's what the kids get. Yeah. That's what the kids get. <laughs> that's emancipation. Yeah. That's <laughs> All right. Uh, well, none of that made sense, what we were just talking about, <laughs> which leads us perfectly into our next segment, That Makes No Sense. All right, so this article comes to us from Creative Block. Is that Block? B-L-O-Q, I think? That's none of your business. Dot com. <laughs> Adobe defends itself as Photoshop users berate new update. But it's all Apple's fault, guys. So, Don, you picked this, and I'm curious, <laughs> yeah. what, what makes no sense about this to you? All right, so uh, a lot of people... You may have noticed that on the internet, people do have a tendency to fixate on little, tiny, minute details and whine like it's the end of the world. That's dumb as hell. I'm about to go write about it. So in uh, a recent version of Adobe Photoshop on the newest version of Mac OS, uh, the save as functionality has changed and the world has ended. So in the past, if you were editing a PSD file and you wanted to, say, save it as a PNG or a JPEG, you could go to File and Save As. And you could tell it to save it as a JPEG. You can't do that anymore. When you go to choose save as, you don't have the option to change the file format. And that's because Apple has tightened security around the save as prompt. You know, it's integrated into macOS. Uh, and so Adobe had to remove that functionality. Well, Apple kind of forced them, right? So make sure I'm hearing you right. Apple's controlling 
what Adobe can and cannot do. Yes. So, okay, just yes. making sure we're on the same page. So Adobe rightly has said, hey, it's not our fault. Uh, and it, you know, Apple kind of made us do it, but people are, are really reaming Adobe because Adobe is such a terrible company. <laughs> it's hard to feel like it's not their fault. Yeah. But when I saw this, I... I immediately thought, why is this an issue? Because you just go to file and export. And then that's what, yeah, yeah, that's I, that's what I was doing yeah. for like a PNG. But this is saying you have to hit save a copy. So it's right? so an extra click. But that that's was like the a copy around. of the project, though, right? Yeah. So I, I swung by our editor room uh, yeah. earlier today to ask them because they work in Photoshop yeah. and Premiere stuff uh, every they single day. Set a couch on fire and we're like <laughs> running around like crazy people. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, talking to them, they use the export functionality too. So right. I don't know who exactly is, is, is doing the save as using the save as thing, but uh, it's a little change, but it's a, a, a way that you've been able to do it for a long, long time and people don't like change. So I, I totally get that, right? I get like you've got like a workflow. And as soon as someone throws a monkey wrench in your workflow, it's kind of unnerving. I get that. But I also have worked in, you know, help desk space, Don. We've kind of done that before. <laughs> People get like, here's the thing. If you don't put page breaks in my email signature line, I'm going to set the building on fire. Right? And it's like, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, I get it's annoying. But let's calm the hell down. Yeah. And just yeah. like learn, change your workflow set it and forget it and go back to work well the, the big thing is in a year oh yeah when, when apple away. says oh you don't have to do that anymore and they say cool we'll change it back people are gonna be like hold up yeah now, I, where's my save a copy button <laughs> like so it, it, people are just mad at, at what's what's current change i mean you see this and on facebook so. every anytime you can complain about apple i'm yeah. good yeah. <laughs> or well, any company. You know, so there's a or lot of people company. that are tweeting about this. Uh, nobody's invoked Hitler yet, so it hasn't reached that All stage, right. but it'll, it'll get there. Isn't there a law that says that yeah. any... Yeah. Sooner or later, yeah, it'll it, get it there. It becomes that you are Hitler. Yeah, it's probably there by the time this, this episode airs. I think Hitler uses Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler used fireworks, which I, I used to use. until they got Fireworks. Yeah. Yeah, those are the good old days. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, I'm, uh, I'm boycotting Adobe products. As until I have to use it again later today for work. It's, uh, it's all I have to use because it's still the best product. Like some microcosm of cancel culture. Uh, have either of you guys used uh, Krita? K R I T A? No. So, you know, there's been the GIMP, uh, oh, yeah. I which that. Yeah. has been Adobe like for a long time, but they stuck with the old Adobe interface, not the new one. Right. And so it, it's been kind of good enough, but not like Photoshop is still better. Krita has a lot more functionality. Krita is an open source image editor that is really, really good. I, I've been impressed by it. Taylor, uh, Taylor A over. Well, oh yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He showed me, and uh, you know, it, it's it really Adobe's got some good competition from open source software right now. Yeah, yeah, and there's a couple other things. So if you're like a Lightroom user and you're like, okay, I'm not paying Adobe Creative Suite or Creative Commons or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, they have Darktable, and there's another one called, oh man, what is that one called? I forget. Oh, raw therapy. That's it. Raw therapy does a really good job. So yeah. So in a world where there's a lot of options, if you can't tolerate the save as functionality, well, actually you wouldn't be able to go to them either because yeah. the save as is common across Mac OS. That's so, Mac OS. Yep. Yeah, screw you. Yeah. So then you move over <laughs> to a real computer. Well, if they have, if they would have to update the software there, right? Oh, you just because Linux. if I hadn't updated my Photoshop to the latest version, would oh, no, that functionality have gone away. Still? If you update Mac OS and don't update Photoshop, then Photoshop save as is work. just broken. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it works works fine on Windows though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I believe that you can install Windows and Linux on your Mac. Yeah, so okay. you can. Okay. There's okay. that. Yeah, not I mean, on an M1. Photoshop and stuff doesn't. The Toby Suite doesn't work on Linux though, does it? Uh, no. Yeah. No. So you can run in Wine if you're crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's not that smooth in Windows. Either. Yeah. But, I mean, all I use it for is to put myself in like 
Kate Hudson's vacation photos. Uh, as you do. But I can yeah, do that yeah, with yeah. the, I'll try that one that yeah, Don suggested. Yeah, Let's see if that works as well. <laughs> Very cool. All right, I uh, want to let you know about a webinar coming up called Breaking the Code of Digital Transformation, What Most Organizations Miss When Creating Digital Strategies. That is Thursday, June 3rd, and it is at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can register at itpro.tv slash webinars, and while you're there, you can see all the on-demand webinars, uh, like the one we just did on Windows Virtual Desktop last week, um, ISC certifications, things like that, um, all at itpro.tv slash webinars so check that out and head over to you know i was going to say head over to techne.do uh, but i'm going to go ahead and say head over to technado.com because when i started to go to techne.do it was like uh, this is not secure so i'm going to talk to don about that after mm. this episode uh-oh but go, just, go to, just go to technado.com just, just go there that works because that's where it redirects you anyway uh and then i apologize today on for the things that i said to you about technado.com <laughs> in croatia and i apologize to all the people of croatia uh, but yeah, head over there and you can, uh, you can send us a viewer mail or listener mail and let us know what stories you want us to talk about. You can see all the latest episodes. Uh, you can buy some swag that's there now and you can click that big orange button in the corner that says sponsored by IT Pro TV and you can get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal plan and also request a team trial and see all the cool features available to teams from IT Pro TV. The technique.do work for you? Uh, it did, so I'll have to look okay. into why yeah, it you didn't got work there. earlier. But now, it's now, that malware he got. Maybe now, <laughs> now it works. Now it works. Maybe the Dominican Republic was down. As oh, a maybe country. Yeah, it can happen. Yeah. So I take back my apology today on <laughs> reissue my my hatred <laughs> for all things Croatian. For just specifically that. Just thing. him. Just mm. him. And the, that and that plum liquor they have there. The number one export that, that you disgusting. know disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, the number yeah, Chris's number one export is day on. Day on. <laughs> yeah. We don't want. It. <laughs> I mean, he, he keeps just replying to me back in in Microsoft Teams, so it's like I get this platform to say things about him, and he just gets to yell back at me. And team, so it's like, I, I want I want to like send him some malware that just sends Teams messages to Peter. Like, so all right. Well, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you to Jorge uh, for joining us today to talk about AWS. And we'll see you guys next week right here on Technado with Don Pazette.